calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to the Take 15 podcast. I'm Lauren Foster, and this is the show where we bring you short conversations with some of the world's most fascinating and accomplished people. This week, we're exploring trust. Now, it may sound like a simple topic, but as I discovered when preparing for the show, the deeper you dig, the more complex it becomes. Trust governs our lives. It's a central part of all our relationships, from romance and politics to business. Trust is what allows us to hand over our retirement savings to an advisor or board a plane, hop in a stranger's car, or enjoy a holiday in someone else's home. In all these situations, we have to trust in the outcome, that things will go right. Trust is also essential to the proper functioning of capital markets. And to help us understand why, I'm joined today by Rebecca Fender and Bob Stammers. Rebecca and Bob are CFA charter holders and co-authors of the Investor Trust Study 2020, published by CFA Institute. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Rebecca Fender, Bob Stammers, welcome. It's so great to have you both here today. So we're sitting down for a conversation on trust and trustworthiness in what is really an extraordinary time. Coronavirus is in the headlines, not just here in the US, but globally. And trust is really being tested on a number of different fronts, whether it's trust in the government, trust in the healthcare system, or trust in the financial system. So I'm really pleased that you're both here today to help us unpack this concept of trust a little more. That's great to be here. Thanks for having us. So perhaps we should start with the word trust itself. We use the word a lot, but we don't always think about how trust works and why it's really so important. So what does trust mean to you? Why does it elicit such strong emotions? And really, what is the foundation of trust? Well, I think there's a lot of facets to trust, but really down to its basic elements. It's really, and you know, it's really the foundational elements of all every relationship, right? People want to make sure that you have their best interest at heart and that you're not going to do something to harm them, right? So, um, and that's very emotional right at its core. But when you're talking about investing, it gets even more emotional, right? I mean, investing is an emotional discipline. We all know that. And we also know from behavioral finance that uh, people are very loss averse. And so what they want to make sure is that when they give you their money, and which is their savings or their wealth, that you're going to have their best interest at heart and that you're not going to do something unscrupulous or fraudulent that's going to cost them their savings. And actually, we asked this question of people, um, of 50% of um, global investors, their highest priority is retirement. And we asked them, what's your biggest concern? And the biggest concern, one was that something was going to happen in the market and they're going to lose all their money. So trust in the system. The other one was that their advisor was going to do something unscrupulous and they were going to lose their money. So trust in you know, either a firm or, or a person. So when you start talking about those things, you can see how emotional it is. Yeah. You know, in this topic of trust, 
people talk about it, but very few people study it because it's pretty complex, right? Um, but once you start thinking about it, you see it everywhere in your life, right? Um, and so I think this idea that it is this big concept of what does it take for me to give my money, to entrust my money to you. So it's a lot more than just ethics, competencies involved, a lot of different things. So we kind of knew we couldn't throw this question out there to everyone and say, what does trust mean? And you know, it differs by culture and so forth. But we did say, okay, how do we think about building trusting relationships? And so one question we asked was pretty interesting. We said, so how do you think about this? Do you, are you more likely to assume somebody's trustworthy? unless they prove otherwise? Or are you the type that says, well, once somebody demonstrates trust, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt? Or do you say, no, I'm a person who my trust has to be constantly earned and maintained? And we find, again, big differences by country, but um, especially we find that um, you know, this is something we can track over time. It's the best we have to a definition. Uh, right now, globally, it's about a third, a third, a third. So. That gives us a starting point. That's interesting. We also asked a question. We, we asked people, and these are investors that we're talking to around the world. You know, when you're thinking about hiring a firm or a professional, what are the most important factors? And you think it would be, well, their ability to increase wealth or give me a return. But actually, the highest one has always been that the person will act in their best interest. And in some cases, in some markets, the returns are fourth or fifth, you know, after someone I trust, recommended by someone I trust, uh, or the ability to communicate well, those things. And I mean, clearly there's an expectation that people are gonna perform, right? We don't mean to contradict that in any way, right? But when it's that final decision, who am I gonna give my money to? Who am I gonna work with? It does come back to trust, as you say. So your paper primarily looks at investor trust in the financial services industry, but how does that compare to other industries? Well, generally, uh, we're talking to investors, um, uh, medicine and technology are the most trusted, and media and government are the least trusted. And I don't think my people probably find that very surprising. Actually, when we asked the question, um, if we had another financial crisis, what's the most probable cause? I think it was like 50% of investors said that it's either going to be national or global politics. So we originally did this, we did this with Edelman, the PR firm, it does the trust barometer, and they talked to the public. When they talked to the public, when they talked to the public, uh, financial services were down around where media is very, not trusted very much. So when we started doing it on our own, we wanted to talk to investors. We wanted to find out, since investors already have experience with the system, what's their trust levels? Um, what we found is institutional investors much, have much higher trust because they have experience, they you know, they'll work in the industry. They, they'd be higher, you know, have higher trust in the industry. The investors originally weren't much more trusted than media, but over time that's been increasing. And I think um, some of the reasons are, first of all, we've gotten farther and farther from the financial crisis. And so people are getting more confident about the system and so they trust it more. And performance has pretty, been pretty good you know, in most markets. And so that's helped quite a bit. But also the industry has been really focused on becoming much more professional, uh, being much more focused on ethics and on, um, on, on finding client solutions, much more client focused. Um, which CFA Institute is you know, on the forefront of trying to help the industry do that. And I think that's also helped uh, increase trust as well. And I think to your point about professionalism, one thing I found interesting this year is we added a question about the professionals, the people themselves working in those industries to see how much does that line up in terms of perceptions. And so um, the number one most trusted profession was doctor by far. Um, probably about 70% said that was 
fairly pretty much the top person they would trust. Um, the by far least trusted was politician. <laughs> and um, financial advisors, though, were pretty low on the list. They were kind of right next to mechanics. Mm -hmm. So um, we still have some work to do to really make sure that people know interests are aligned and uh, that there is you know, some sense of accountability for your well-being. So you've both been studying trust for a number of years. I think this is your fourth report in a series. What did you learn this year that was new? Well, I think um, each year we get to go a little deeper. And so the interesting part here for me was to look at these segments of investors. So we can think about who is an investor. Do you even consider yourself an investor if you, know, you own a house, right? Um, but when we looked at this, we looked specifically at institutional investors and then individual investors either with an advisor or without an advisor. And that distinction about having an advisor was new. So a lot more analysis there. Um, a couple key findings I think were interesting. First was back to this point of do you trust the system? About 80% of individual investors with an advisor trust the system, and only about half of those without an advisor trust the system. So if you think about it, 50% of people without an advisor are investing in a system they don't think they can fairly profit from. Um, and the second thing that I think is interesting is that we looked at who are early adopters of new types of product. And um, far and away, those with an advisor are more confident in trying new things. So about two-thirds of investors with an advisor will be an early adopter versus only one-third of those without an advisor. So um, you know, it's our belief that markets are changing quite a bit. And in order to benefit from them, you will need to look at innovative things. So those without an advisor are... Um, just don't have the same advantages. So did any of this come as a surprise to you? Um, I think it makes sense, but I think it is uh, really helpful to put a finer point on the value of an advisor, right? And so we can look at um, these very clear signals of uh, you know, performance and are you responsive to people and things like that. But also then there's just this question of how much more are you willing to participate in markets because you've got somebody by your side? You know, what I find surprising was the dispersion in, in responses uh, uh, around markets. Remember, I said this is a, a global report, so we, we talked to investors in 15 markets. And just a simple question like, do you trust the financial services industry? We had a low of 24% of investors in Australia said that they trusted the system. We have 87% in India, right? And what we found is that there's kind of, there's lots of, as I said before, there's lots of facets to trust. And so here we found an experiential and even a cultural aspect to it. So in Australia, they just went through what they uh, called the Hayes, um, Haynes Royal Commission. And they were looking at possible fraud in the banking, superannuation, and financial services industry. And they did find some places where behavior was not appropriate. And so that, that experience has helped to really push down trust in Australia. I found from local uh, people in local society in India that that level of trust is a cultural aspect of India. And so, as I said before, there's the experiential and cultural aspects to these to the trust levels as well. So the first report was released in 2013. So in seven years, a lot has happened. How has trust evolved over that period? Well, the industry is evolving, and so trust is evolving with it, right? Um, I'll give you an example. So we asked a question to investors when thinking of hiring a firm. What would you prefer? People you can count on, well, I'm sorry, a brand you can trust or people you can count on. 
And 51% of investors said a big brand over people. That's been increasing over time. Last time we did this, 2018, it was slightly people over brand. But this has big implications for the industry, right? What does your brand mean, right? What is it saying to the rest of the, to the, to the world and to, to potential clients? And, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how, how business has changed over time. Um, people don't live necessarily near their investment firm or their investment advisor. And this is particularly true with robo-advisors or technical you know, engagement through technology. Um, and so that idea of brand becomes much, much more important. It's becoming much more of a proxy for trust. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the impact of technology and AI uh, on trust. And I was preparing for this episode, I came across uh, a TED talk by Rachel Botsman, who's a trust researcher. And she says something profound is changing in our concept of trust. And I'm going to tell you what she says. She says, while we used to place our trust in institutions like governments and banks, today we increasingly rely on others often strangers on platforms like Airbnb and Uber and through technologies like blockchain. So what did you learn about innovation and technology and how that impacts trust? Well, clearly a really important area for our industry as we think about the role innovation can play and um, how firms can use technology well, right? Um, we talked about um, artificial intelligence plus human intelligence and how artificial intelligence can be a have a multiplier effect on that human intelligence. Um, the key thing is that trust in people is increased when you use technology. So there's a complementary aspect there. To, to the extent that tr technology is the most trusted industry, that's good for us because we can use technology effectively. Now, I think that that's kind of an expectation at this point, that you know clients expect you to use technology and there will be advantages for those who use it in new ways. Um, we find that if we ask, in three years' time, are you more interested in having access to a person who can help you with your portfolio or access to technology to do it more yourself? Um, that technology number has been going up over time. And again, like brand, this is the first time that it's kind of crossed the 50% mark more toward technology um, on a global level. There's always been a lot of difference by market. But I think that's interesting. And, and also, I think there's a potential that it could be plateauing. Because when we look at the change over the last couple of years, it's all been in the youngest generation. So for a while, everyone said, yes, I want more technology. And now we've gotten to a point where there's a lot of value in that increased transparency and so forth. But people are asking now, what's the incremental benefit? So, um, and people still aren't willing to trust a computer for advice. That's where the human comes in, right? And, um, and so I think there's an interesting parallel too with how firms are looking at technology. You know, what's the return on investment to putting more and more into technology? It can be there, but we've seen it's kind of early days in terms of AI, um, in you know, about 10% of portfolio managers we surveyed had um, are using AI in some way, um, but compare that to the demand. There's um, among institutional investors, 70% said they'd like to invest in an AI-driven fund. So there's a lot more potential for technology, but um, there's also this element of that trust, trust and advice, and kind of you know people want to look to another person, not a machine, at the end of the day when they look at their returns. I think there's also a risk of uh, technology, these technology firms, right? In a study that, we, that 
we did that's called the future state of the investment profession. We talked about the importance of creating more professional industry, one that gains greater trust um, with society, that uh, creates better benefits for society. Because the potential is for having other industries come and you know, disintermediate um, financial services. One of the questions we asked was of uh, people that were, would be early adopters of investment products. Would you rather have those investment products designed by a financial service company or by a large technology company? And 59% of investors around the world said technology company, which goes back to that brand issue. I mean, it's a trusted brand. So we have to be really careful that we build trust in the industry so that we don't just get disintermediated by other, other companies. Your report talks a bit about bridging the trust gap, which is becoming more trustworthy. So this strikes me as critical for the investment industry. What are some practical things that firms and professionals can do to really help build trust? Well, going back to that future state of the investment profession um, study that we did, one of the things we introduced was this idea of the trust equation. And it was, how do you build trust and demonstrate value? And you do that by uh, building credibility and demonstrating professionalism. And credibility is really pretty uh, objective. It's really about getting investors confident that you have the background to do the work, right? So what's your experience? What's your education? What's your credentials, right? What's your brand? What's your reputation? These are things that you can build on, and that helps to uh, build credibility. The other one is demonstrating professionalism, and that's really getting investors confident that you have the subject matter knowledge to do the work and that you have the growth mindset to and intellectual curiosity to stay on top of innovations and so that you have the edge in, in providing that service. But there's also a value component. It's also about demonstrating that you share the values that your clients uh, hold dear. So that you have empathy, that you put their interests first, right? That you understand your clients and their needs and you can build solutions for them. And I think some of the other practical things that come out of that include, you know, well, how do your reports look? This is a main communication tool you have with clients. And if it's full of jargon and it's not something that's really communicating well, it's not doing its job. Um, and there are other, of course, industry standards you can use. You can use global performance, you know, GIPS standards and so forth. You can um, also make a point to say when you adopt voluntary codes, when you have credentials, these are signs that you care about quality. And that um, those are the signals people need as a shortcut, a mental shortcut to know who's trustworthy. Um, and on the professionalism side too and values, I think that one of the interesting findings was that people are looking for more of a teacher or a coach, somebody that will help empower them versus just an expert. So, Thanks so much, Rebecca and Bob. That's all we have time for today. But if someone wants to learn more, where could they find the report? The report can be found at trust.cfainstitute.org. And you can not only read it, but play around with some of the data and see what it means for you. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting or legal advice, please consult a professional. I am Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.